Well, on today's Best episode, whoa, whoa, what, what? All right, no, no, go ahead, go ahead, run that, run that. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll inflate the flat tire in less than three minutes, made in the USA, and comes with a lifetime warranty. Best Rest is also the North American distributor for Googletech filters. Their website, CyclePump.com. CyclePump.com. Okay, so we're... Max BMW... Okay, hang You know why we have to do these, right? You understand why we have ads in here, because it makes the whole thing go round. But of course, you can help things out by becoming a supporter. Why don't you drop by the website, www.adventure... I'm not supposed to say www again. I did it again. I can't believe it. Let me try that again. Drop by the website, adventureriderradio.com, and click on the support button. Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. They've got 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free at maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. Well, I hope you've planned well and have enough time to listen to the full episode of Adventure Rider Radio in one shot this week. You might want to make a little detour right now and take a long route, because once you get started, I don't think you're going to want to press the pause button. First up today is an untold inside story for a couple that was crossing a border, and it should have been a normal border crossing and customs clearance exercise for them, but it ended up dropping them into the middle of a terrifying criminal sting operation where they couldn't tell the good guys from the bad guys, and it got serious when threats were made on one of their lives. In the end, they're told to leave the country by the people that you would have thought would have been there to protect them. Coming up. On this episode as well, we've got some information about the space between the rings and the road. Called tires, of course. No, it's not a boring tire talk about which tread happens to last the longest or what tire gets the best traction on ice. Now, these are important things that no matter what bike you ride, no matter what tires you run, they're going to help you out. And it's probably some answers to questions you didn't know you had. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using their unique strapping system, and it's easy to swap from one bike to another. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding, and that's gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. That's GreenChiliADV.com. The MotoBreeze chain oiler is powered by wind pressure that automatically adjusts for speed. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers your oil to your chain with a felt pad on the swing arm, eliminating problems of exposed nozzles near the sprockets. One ounce of oil lasts over 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets and forget about the messy spray oil. MotoBreeze.com. There's two eyes in there. MotoBreeze.com. 
Well, this is an alarming story for travelers, to be sure. Uh, Spencer Conway and his girlfriend, Kathy, are doing a circumnavigation of Central America, then the USA and Canada for filming that they're doing. They flew their motorcycle from Bogota into Colombia. Now, this is Spencer's 127th country on the same bike. I'm not sure how many countries he's done overall, but that itself tells you that they are accustomed to dealing with the importation of the motorcycle, the border crossing paperwork in general. They work as a team. Kathy is the camera person. Spencer is the on-screen personality. So we're talking about two experienced, competent travelers. And although they did all their paperwork, they crossed all the T's, dotted all their I's, packaged everything up just like it should be, one thing they didn't do, that was to anticipate being caught up in a major criminal sting operation where Spencer's bike was held for ransom and his life was threatened. They barely got out of Panama, some would say escaped, when I spoke with them here. Are you good there? Yeah, I'm actually in a hotel reception. Um, but I've asked them not to let anybody in, so hopefully uh, it'll be fairly quiet. So, so Spencer, where are you now? Um, yeah, I'm in Costa Rica at the moment, um, having left Panama, having some problems there, which I'll tell you about. Um, I, I'm starting my third circumnavigation. So uh, obviously I've done Africa and South America. So now it's uh, Central America, USA, Alaska and Canada, all the way around the coast. And you've just started out when you ran into a problem yeah unfortunately yeah because i finished south america and um uh obviously starting central now uh the the plan was to do the darien gap um on the bike but i can't do that till january so um we ended up flying um from ecuador sorry um from bogota colombia to uh, Panama. So you, you flew into Panama. Now, this is your 127th country on the Tenere. 127 that's countries. Right. I mean, Spencer, man, that's just, <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, I mean, and you fly into Panama, which is like by most people's standards, sort of a, you know, a, a comfortable place to go, a place where you don't expect any trouble, but that's not what you experienced. When did it start to yeah. go wrong? Oh, absolutely. It started to go wrong right from the beginning. Um, just to explain, obviously, I didn't go through a normal customs check. I, it, the bike was on an aeroplane. So you can imagine the checks are quite stringent. So um, basically what happened was uh, I went to clear the bike. Uh, I filled in all the necessary forms. And as you're aware, I've traveled quite a lot. I've been you know, through these sort of customs over 100 times. So I'm really, really, really careful about my paperwork. I knew there were four papers to fill in. Um, so I got them all done. I got the bike out. Uh, I had the final paper to fill in, which I did. They were all stapled together. I handed them through a window. The woman put the final stamp on. She passed it back through the window, and she said, you're free to leave the airport. I left the airport, and um, I drove about 30 kilometers, and I was stopped uh, immediately. And I just have to tell you, there was a bike rally going on. And there were at least 50 bikes going through that border. And they only stopped me. So first of all, I thought, okay, that's a bit strange. The, the second thing and most important is they always ask for passport and then papeles para la moto, papers for the motorbike. That's the standard setup. They didn't do that. They stopped me. And the first thing the guy said was, where is your, and it was this certain piece of paper. So I took out my papers because I knew I had it. And uh, it was gone. Uh, now, 
I didn't know at the time, but apparently, and I've been told this by the Panamanian consulate. So, I mean, that can be followed up. They said there is dodginess going on. So what, what I think it was happened was that they phoned through, and uh, this, the woman, when I handed in the final piece, she removed that paper, phoned through. It's the first time in my whole life, in 11 years of riding the motorbike, that they asked for a specific paper. So it was missing. The chap said to me straight away, that's $3,000. So I went, no, I, I have done it. You can phone the airport. You can confirm that I, filmed in, I filled in this paper. They said no. They separated me and Kathy. They, they took me into a room. They, they kept me there for six hours, and I asked for water, and they said no. It was absolutely absurd. They even said to Kathy, how would you feel if your husband disappeared? Okay, this is not a kind of thing that a customs officer says. So I knew we were in a lot of trouble. Um, so I knew that this paper had been taken. I knew that something was going on here. So I refused. So hang on, Spencer. So who's questioning you and where? Okay, the, this is at a roadblock and these guys are police. And one of them is supposed to be customs. Now, what I also didn't understand was that customs officer was at the airport. And when I got to that roadblock, he was there. So that was also really strange. So now I'm stuck with the police, okay? I'm stuck with them, and they've got me in a room, and they've told Kathy, how do you feel if your husband would go missing? The first thing he said was $3,000 for this paper. So I said, I'm not paying. I refuse to pay. So they said, okay, well, well, we're taking your bike anyway, because it's illegal. I said, listen, how can I possibly get through an international airport go through all my paperwork, get the four papers, and he went, it's this paper. And he handed me the exact paper that I filled in. And, and obviously an empty one. He was showing me the one I was supposed to It was the exact paper I filled in, mm-hmm. and it was, it was supposed to be stapled to those other four. So anyway, they took the bike, and they started getting very aggressive. I'm not going to go into it. it. It was horrible. It was the first time I heard effing gringo. And, you know, in my whole time, my one and a half years, two years in South and Central America, absolutely loved every minute of it. So got in a bit of a panic. So I asked if I could make a phone call. Uh, One of the guys who was not involved was in the road, and he gave me his phone. I made a phone call to my father, and I said, call the British Foreign Office because there's something going on here. So then he did, and the Foreign Office traced this telephone and rang it back five minutes later. So I handed it to the customs officer, and they explained that it was the foreign office, the British foreign office, and what was going on. Um, They managed to uh, persuade the guys to take us into a town, but they wanted to take me in a truck. So I said, no, I refuse to go in a truck with them. So the foreign office spoke to them again, and they agreed to take the bike into the main town that was near to the airport. So I followed on the bike, and they had a truck on the back and the front of me. So they put the bike into a compound. And where was Kathy for this? Kathy was on the back of the bike with me. When we went to the compound, before we got there, I told her to get off and go. So she left with the passports and everything. I go into this room. They lock the door. They lock the door. And there were three of them in there. And they tried to make me sign a paper to sign my bike over. So I refused. They said, okay, give me your passport. I didn't have it. I said, I don't have my passport on me. So they said, well, you can go to the bank and pay pay 3000 I said, how am I supposed to get 3000 And I'm not paying you. So I said, okay, we're keeping the bike. So anyway, 
Uh, I said, look, I'm going back to the hotel. I need to go to the room where Kathy is. I need to uh, just sort my head out, etc." I left. 30 or 40 meters down the road, they, they knew I had to walk back to my room. They could have offered me a lift in there. They came out in a car and, and said, get in, get in to this car. So I said, no, I'm not getting in. And I flagged down a taxi. So then I got in there, got sorted, got my room. About an hour or so later, four guys came past in a, in a car. I recognized one of them from the roadblock. So I was like, oh, my God, there's something going on here, Kathy. This is unbelievable. So um, when I went the next morning, instead of going, oh, my God, the British uh, embassy is involved, et cetera, et cetera, they started a, what I can only say is an interrogation. They, my name, my age, my height, my weight. They even made me take my T-shirt off to show them the tattoos that I had. And they took a description of my tattoos. Does this sound like a traffic offense? Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, this is so. So this is they've got you in a room again by yourself. By myself, by myself, and also uh, they after that they refused to let me use a phone. Spencer, just hang on. So, so we get a better idea of what's going, like how aggressive they are. Like, I know you don't want to get into too much of it, but sort of give an idea of, of like, like exactly how intimidating this yeah. really is. Okay, um, I, as you know, I'm well-traveled. I, I don't really get scared easily, but I think the main one was when they said that to Kathy. How would you feel if your husband disappears? Because you can't really get much worse than that, can you? No. I mean, that's basically saying you're, he's going to die. And when you I find mean, about it afterwards, and then they grab you again, you've got this in the back of your mind. Yeah, well, this is the problem. Because Kathy was saying to me, do not go back to that compound to get the bike, because they're going to take you or something, okay? And I was like, okay, well, the foreign office now, um, Kathy contacted the Dutch embassy, but they wouldn't help her. So we just wanted to keep her hidden away. Now, um, the strangest thing was I also phoned the Panamanian consulate from the room I was in, and this was the quote she gave me. This is the Panamanian consulate. I told her it was the police and the Aduan, and she said, Mr. Conway, this is very cryptic, sometimes the police are not police. So <laughs> make, make what you will of that, okay? That's so, an official anyway, response? This is an official response, okay? Now, the other thing that's very upsetting is that the, the, the people that, I won't name them, that flew my bike over, they went straight onto social media and said, this is a message for all bikers. Make sure that you have all your correct paperwork, okay? So what they were doing, and I totally understand it, they were trying to cover themselves. Mm-hmm. saying that I hadn't done the correct paperwork like, and that's why I got in trouble. Yeah, like you'd made okay. a mistake. Yeah, like I'd made a mistake, which 100% I didn't. The, the paper was taken away and it was all a setup. But even so, if you did, even if you'd made a mistake and didn't have the paper to take you into a room and, and treat you the way they did, that's just not, that, that's not how it's done. Thank you very much. I totally agree. And I mean, it does, does it sound like an interview? No, it sounds like an interrogation. No, I, mean, I mean, what what do my tattoos of Africa have to do with uh, a piece of paper. Yeah. You know, um, so, yeah, it was it was absolutely absurd. So, I'll tell you another thing. You'll find this so difficult to believe. So, we're back in the room. We haven't got anywhere with a motorbike. I've had the interrogation. So, we go outside to get a taxi, okay? I open the door of the taxi. He's He's parked there. He's parked there. I open the door of the taxi, and there are no handles on the inside of the door. So I think, A, 
As Kathy's about to get in the other side, the taxi driver gets out, hands his keys to three guys, and says, these guys are going to take you. Can you believe this? Wow. So, so just to be clear, that handles missing on the taxi cab. That's not a thing that you've seen before. I've never seen it before. And, I mean, it's very difficult to get out once you're in, isn't it? <laughs> That's just unbelievably <laughs> creepy. I yeah, mean. It, it, was, it was unbelievable. It gets worse. It gets worse. So I grabbed Kathy and we just ran straight back in. So this was a, this was a kidnapping, basically, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Now, it gets even more absurd. After that, we go into the room and I said to Kathy, okay, this is it. Um, you are not going out again. I'm going to go to the supermarket. I'll get us food for the evening and uh, I'll come back. Okay, fine. I go to the supermarket. I pay at the counter. I walk out. They arrest me for shoplifting. Okay? Wow. So, yeah, yeah, listen. So, uh, this is getting on the, on the margins of the absurd. So, I said to the guy, uh, my receipt's in that bin there. Um, you know, as you're walking out of the shop. So, we, he won't go and look for the receipt. And he won't allow me to look for this. So I, I look over to the counter to the woman that has just put my products through. And she goes, no, let's say, I don't know. As though she's never seen me before. Wow. So he, this guy makes me pay, okay, again, for all my products. Right, so I head off down the road. A woman from Aduan, finally, I get in touch. I get through, and eventually, these guys who have been so aggressive realize they're getting nothing and i managed to get my bike okay and this three thousand then went down to one thousand and then it got all aggressive because of who i'd contacted and then they realized that they were in a totally sticky situation and that they weren't going to get away with this one so they had to release the bike okay so the bike is released i go back to the room and this is where everything was confirmed two people turned up and one of them was Aduan Customs. And she said, you have been targeted by a criminal gang. So I went, oh, okay, everything makes sense. She said, they are here, around here. You need to leave in 10 minutes. So I said, pardon? They said, you've got to leave the country in 10 minutes. I said, okay, well, my wife's actually sleeping. I need to go and sort her out. They waited for me. And I went back and I said, look, we're actually my wife is too scared to do the 50 kilometers to the border. Because if you just told us we're targeted by a criminal gang, they can get us on the way out again. So um, they agreed to drive us to the border. So we had Aduan drive us to the border, and uh, the paperwork was done in like two minutes, and we were through. So it's the most absurd story I've ever come across. It's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. But that, that, that's it in a nutshell, really. What happened with your bike? How'd you get your bike to the border? Um, I rode it. Oh, I see. So they, they had the Yaduan, they had the customs next to us with a truck and an armed guy. And uh, they saw us straight through. What is Aduan? Uh Customs. Sorry, Customs. 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 So, uh, so it's, Customs comes and tells you that, that you're in danger. They have no authority here? Uh, it, uh, it, it, I, I, it was so absurd that the people that were questioning me were not in uniform. I... I it, 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 it's a story that I will never, ever get my head around because I don't know who were the dodgy ones, who were the decent ones. It, it was just, just the weirdest, weirdest situation. And to me, I'm, I'm totally in the dark. I'm totally in the dark. But, I mean, the fact that 
number one, the Panamanian consulate says, you know, uh, uh, police are sometimes not police is the weirdest thing. And also the fact that they told me straight that I've been targeted by a criminal gang. But I don't. I, I suspect that it was the customs involved, some dodgy customs. You, you think it was it was actually like part of the government or, or crooked people in customs? I, I, can't, I can't say that on radio. I just, I know I have that paper. I recognized it when he showed it. I know I filled it in. I handed it through that glass partition. She stamped it, handed it all back. It, that one mistake of not looking just before I drove out was my error. But I don't didn't expect someone to steal the paper. And the fact that, they, that as soon as I got to that roadblock, they, they asked for that paper. It, it, I mean, clearly it's, it's well organized. She pulls the paper at the airport. Somebody does, hands it back. She tells you free to go. Yeah. And then they pick yeah. you up down the way. And like you said, it's the same person that you saw at customs. So, so this is a pretty <laughs> deep um, uh, um, a criminal activity. Sure, absolutely it is. You know, I, if it was just a one-off, okay? If it was a one-off rogue customs officer, you know, we all go through it, don't we? You know, give me $20 or whatever. But it was the aggression. It was the organization. It was the holding of the bike. It was the inter... I mean, when I told Kathy about about my, describing my tattoos, they did everything except fingerprints. It was like being booked into jail. I mean, literally, it, it was that ridiculous. On a positive note... What was so incredible about this was, like, the response from you guys. Honestly, all the bikers and everything. I mean, Greg Turp even arranged uh, for bikers to come and protect us outside the hotel, as did another guy. And um, we had a bunch of bikers just turn up, which is, and, and I must have had 500 messages. We were even offered money, flights, everything. I mean, from other bikers, even bikers that we haven't met. So it, it was so humbling. It really was. But to this day, I don't think I'm going to be able to explain this one away. And clearly, it's not a country you're going to go back to. Uh, I will go back. I think I'll go back on my own. Uh, I, I'd like to say something about that. I cannot judge Panama. I cannot say anything to anybody about how beautiful or how not it is because I literally got in on the main road and uh, things just started happening. And then we just got filtered out four days later after all of this palaver. So um, it, it, the fact that there's a criminal gang, it doesn't say anything about the country. So I don't want to put anybody off that country. It could, it could happen anywhere to anybody. It was just really unfortunate. Do you, do you have any reason to believe that they picked you in particular, Spencer Conway, or was it a random motorcyclist? I have no idea. I'm afraid. I think it was random. Uh, I think probably whoever it was. You see, I can't even say it was that lady because that's not fair on radio. Uh, it was handed through that hole and someone took that paper. So I don't know if they just thought big bike, rich guy, whatever, you know, because it was within within 30 seconds. We're taking your bike. We need 3000. <laughs> not not you need to fill in this paper. You need to do this. You need to go through that process. You know, like you said, um, even if that paper had gone missing, or I had made a mistake. There is no excuse for treating someone like that, is there? No, I mean it's just it's just not done. It doesn't seem right. nothing about it seems like the way any any country is going to operate. It, um, in particular, Panama. No, absolutely, and yeah, like you said at the beginning of the interview, uh, Panama especially. I mean, I don't think I've ever heard of any bikers having any trouble there. To tell you the truth, 
What's, what's really particularly worrisome, though, when I asked you about, did they target you? If they targeted you, Spencer Conway, because you, you know, right. you're known on television or, or whatever the case is, if they targeted you, I can see that. And that almost, I hate to say it, Spencer, but it almost makes me feel a little better. The thought that it could be random means that today, tomorrow, someone else could be experiencing the same thing. That, that is the exact reason I, I wanted to come and talk with you, um, because not to be negative, because you know me, I have quite a bad streak. Um, I don't want to be negative, but I wanted people to know that it could happen to them. Um, the, the main thing I'd like to say is, obviously, as, as always, always stay polite. Um, if you feel super uncomfortable, you've got to call someone. But the main, main thing, just check and double check your paperwork. Uh, I'm just so used to going through and knowing all the papers and I knew I had all four. So I just let my guard down, handed it through that little hole and that was my mistake. So just as you get to the main gate, uh, any bikers listening to this, just just double check all your paperwork and then head off. It'll just be that five minutes. And you think if you'd spotted it then, then it would have been over? I would have been able to go back in. Right. Uh, okay, I'll tell you another strange thing. The the cargo company that um, uh, sent my bike over, I said, look, I filled in all that paperwork, and I was quite livid. I said, because, you know, you, you're supposed to see me through this process. And they said, oh, we, went, we checked at the airport, and there's no sign of you on that paper. So I said, are you, are you actually telling me that you don't use computers? Are you telling me that my name is not on that computer? Even if the paper's gone missing, I've got to be on that computer. She said, no, there's no sign of you. So I'm so, oh, oh. So I said to her, oh, so I didn't fly from Bogota. I was being a bit cynical. Mm-hmm. So I didn't fly from Bogota to, to Panama. I made it up, hey? And I just drove my bike through with no paperwork. I mean, it was absurd. So uh, the woman who did the, the freighting, she just called me back and said, oh, they've got no, they've got no um, sign of you being there and doing that particular paperwork. You're talking about the airport, the customs itself. Yeah, at the, yeah, at, at, the, at the releasing, the holding area where they keep the bike. And I mean, they even, I mean, I went through the whole normal rigmarole. They unwrapped the bike because they, you know, they taped it up and all that. They searched it. Uh, they, they did all the normal things. I, they did all the clearance. They did my passport stamp. Everything was fine. Uh, listen, it would be better if they were targeting me Um you know, uh, rather than random, that would be better um, for other people. But I'm not big-headed enough. I'm not. I'm not well known. I think they just spotted the bike. I hmm. just thought, here we go. It's worrisome to hear you say, though. It, you know, when they when they grab you and they claim that you've shoplifted, and then to turn and have that that person that's working there say, you know, they don't know that that makes you think that it, it could be one. It could just be that they see what's going on. They want no part of it, or it could be the fact they recognize these people and they know what's going on and they and they know what they're supposed to do. Yeah, absolutely. You see, for me, it's, for the rest of my life, it's going to be sort of guesswork. I mean, I, I've I've even got I've got photographs of these three guys that they tried to get this three thousand out of me. I, I, but I mean I can't use them because mm-hmm. um, I don't want to get I don't want to get caught up in any more trouble. Um, you know that's why I said to you about having the interview earlier. It would have been very very silly to do it in Panama. Um, yeah. Obviously I feel safe. I feel safer over here. I, all, all I hope is that people will listen. Just be a bit more careful about their paperwork. And not be put off traveling to Panama, because I'm sure it's an incredible country. I don't know it any more than I did before I went there. 
I just had an experience with a few people. You're not concerned, though, if you go back that you're you're going to be a target because you caused so much trouble, um, because so many different people were involved from the outside. Sure, it's a bit of a worry. Uh, that is the reason why I will not take Catherine with me because, um, yeah, I I don't know. I, I've got to sit on it for a while. I've, I've still got another year or so until I need to get back through that. It's just to get back to my original point and to stick strictly with my continental circumnavigations. I've got to come all the way back through Central America again. Um, but yeah, I've got a year to sit on it and think about that one. And you're filming again for another series? I'm filming. I'm, we're filming all the time, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's been very, very difficult. Uh, Katie's kind of lost her mojo a bit. Uh, obviously, you can. I'm sure you're aware it was a bit difficult to film in Panama. Uh, didn't really want to bring anything out. So um, we're just kicking in on that now. Uh, but we're just going to sit here a couple more days and uh, head to San Jose and get a uh, need a new coil for the bike and then onwards to Nicaragua. <laughs> just got to keep positive, really. I mean, I'm very, very, very privileged to be doing what I'm doing, so I don't want to sound like a spoiled brat, but it just knocked us back a little bit, that's all. Well, Spencer, thank you very much for taking the time to, to talk about it, and um, uh, I wish you the, the best of luck for you and, and Kathy, and I hope that both of you are, are sort of recover from this strongly. Uh, thank you so much, and, and I hope next time that uh, I can do a positive interview, because I feel like a real twit coming on and moaning, but I just wanted this story to be told. That was Spencer Conway from a hotel lobby in Costa Rica. As a matter of fact, a hotel lobby where he's using the phone, but he's not even staying there. He happened to walk in off the street and asked if he could use their phone for an interview. It's incredible how people are willing to help. Spencer and Kathy are safely out of Panama, and they are regrouping to uh, continue on their adventure filming for the series that they do for the Travel Channel. Spencer and Kathy produce a series like their African Motorcycle Diaries for the Travel Channel Network, and as well, it's available on DVD. You can find out more about Spencer and what he does at spencer-conway.com. Of course, that link will be in our show notes. take just a quick break to thank a sponsor that helped bring this episode to you but stick around because after this we get deep into tires now you you really want to listen to this no matter how sick of tires you've got in the past no matter how tired you are of looking at those forums where everybody talks about tires this this is going to be different while i'm holding it in my hand a coin that was given to me by Dan, the owner of the Red Rock Garage. Dan told me the coin is called a challenge coin. Apparently they're common in the military. They're sort of to prove a membership in a special forces thing or, or something like that. It's a, it's a tradition between members that when they arrive at the bar, if someone puts his challenge coin on the bar, whoever doesn't put one of these on the bar has to pay for the first round. Apparently they use it at their club for the end of the riding day beer. So he says it makes fun moments and, uh, you know, people get a, a kick out of this. The coin says Red Rock Garage right on it. It's that much of a motorcycle company. The Red Rock Garage is located in Beaverdale, British Columbia on Highway 33. 
It's a coffee shop with a motorcycle addiction, but they have far more than great coffee. They've got a B&B, a campground, gas station, and they're conveniently centered in some of the best riding around. And, and by the way, if you're riding an electric motorcycle, well, they get you covered too. They've got an EV station there for you. Redrockgarage.ca. Make sure you include it in your summer ride. Redrockgarage.ca. Since 1976, IMS Products has been pounding out tough, reliable parts for motorcyclists and racers. And over those 43 years, the racers that run with their gear have been pounding those parts. And they've learned that they can count on IMS. I'm one of those riders. I'm not a racer. I'm an everyday rider. But I count on my IMS foot pegs because in my pegs, I get the same quality that they put out for those racers. Tough reliable foot pegs for adventure motorcycles that are made in the USA and come with a lifetime warranty. Have a look at the full line of adventure pegs that have at IMS products, imsproducts.com. That's imsproducts.com. And of course, anytime you're talking with them, make sure you mention that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. You've probably been part of one of those conversations at a group ride or event, you know, where we stand around and we talk about equipment and motorcycles. Inevitably, that question comes up, what pressure are you running in those tires? But as with choosing a tire for your bike, tire pressure is kind of personal and running your buddy's pressure settings may kind of be like wearing their underwear. It probably won't fit to begin with and likely It just won't be right. A motorcycle tire offers more than just traction for your bike. It's also part of the suspension system, and the air pressure you run changes a lot of things. We want to dig into questions like that about tires, and to get the straight scoop, solid information from someone that knows, we did some searching and came across a fellow named TJ Tennant. TJ is the tire guy. Okay, uh, my name is TJ Tennant. I am the owner of Tennant and Associates. And Tennant and Associates is actually a tire forensics company, believe it or not. We're kind of like the real life NCIS guys. And we work very closely with law enforcement to train them on tire forensics. Uh, we do courtroom uh, depositions and expert witnesses. We actually train fleets as well. And uh, we do everything from motorcycle to passenger and light truck to commercial tire failure, usually when there's a death involved. And previously, I was uh, the the manager for engineering department at the world's largest tire and rubber company, Bridgestone Firestone. TJ, thank you very much for coming on the show and talking to me. No, I'm, I'm looking forward to it because there's a lot of topics that I would like to cover and Um, More than anything, my job is to educate people, whether it's the general public or retailers or anyone about being safe on a motorcycle because I myself am a motorcyclist. What kind of bike do you ride? Well, I have two bikes now. My wife and I have owned over 100 motorcycles. A hundred? We've owned over a hundred. Well, that's a deep obsession. You realize that that probably needs some sort of treatment. Uh, I don't know if there's anything available for that. (laughs) (laughs) A hundred (laughs) bikes. And what are you riding now? 
Right now, I have two bikes. I have a BMW K1600 GTL exclusive that we use for long tours. I also have a Ducati Panigale S that I ride. I try to do track days. I used to race motorcycles in my college days. I'm a little old for that now, but uh, I still go to the track and try to do a track day when I have an opportunity. With Bridgestone, when you worked there, what was you, what were you doing with tires? My job was uh, as for I, I handled several things, but with mo- on the motorcycle side, I was Bridgestone's global tire expert. And what that means is any new products, existing products, we monitored them from cradle to grave. Uh, Bridgestone is a Japanese company. The global office is in Tokyo. The North American office is here in the town where I live now, Nashville. I worked very closely with the Japanese. So any new tires, for example, Bridgestone developed a new tire for Harley-Davidson. They called it at age 50. I did literally all of the testing, a lot of the riding myself, the development, and worked closely to get that tire up and running. Of course, there were some disagreements between myself and Japan. Uh, <laughs> Uh, for as far as engineering and technical things, but we came to an agreement and came out with a really good product. But uh, I, I I miss that because uh, uh, working with the manufacturers, no matter the motorcycle manufacturers, whether it be Harley or Honda or Kawasaki, whoever, I still have very close relationships with those guys. You know, I've had this question for a long time, and I've asked other people in the in the tire industry, and it really is difficult to get an answer on this. When they're designing a motorcycle tire, in particular a tread design, the tread design of the tire, is it science or is it art? Science or art? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought I was going to hear that. It's, it's a little bit of both. And what, what a lot of the manufacturers do now, and I'm going to speak generally because I understand what, what the Dunlops and Michelins and Metzlers and those guys do as well is we come up with a tread pattern that's sort of pleasing to the eye. And we will even interview prospective buyers or people who use the product now or competitor product to see what they think about that tread pattern. But simultaneously, we also use computers to determine uh, how that tread pattern with the compounding and all that that we add to the tire is going to work in the real world. One of, the, one of the first things I think we, sh- we should delve into when it comes to the tires is something you mentioned to me. And I've thought about this before. You hear a lot of people talk about it on forums. You, you hear people discuss it when they get a new tire. Is the, the thought process, uh, and, and find it, we're going to find out now whether this is myth or whether this is fact, the thought process is with a new tire to get it out of the mold. It has some sort of coating on the outside of it that it makes it somewhat slipperier on the road. So there's a break-in period. What can you tell us about the break-in period for motorcycle tires? Oh, thank you so much for asking me that. You know, uh, the breaking period before, previously, was about a product that was actually sprayed on the green tire. And when I say green tire, I don't mean it's green. It's when we put it in the mold before the mold makes the tread pattern and all the stuff that you see, the print and all that on the sidewall. After it comes out of the mold, then it's considered just a tire. It's, it's no longer a green tire. So uh, before... In, in, maybe pre-90s, pre-80s, there used to be a substance that was uh, applied to the tire called mold release. 
And it could be an oily or waxy type substance. And what it allowed was the tire to be removed from the mold fairly easily uh, because the mold is hot and it's under pressure. If you didn't before, if you didn't have that mold release substance on there, then the tire could stick in the mold and possibly damage the tire. In today's, uh, with today's technology and the way that tires are made, there is very little, if any, mold release applied to the tire. The type of steel that the mold is made of, kind of it's kind of like a non-stick fry pan, if, if you can picture that. Mm-hmm. So the tire doesn't stick in the mold anymore. So now the break-in process is about you getting used to the way this new tire handles and scuffing it in. So if you, even if it's the same size, make, model, brand as a previous tire, this the new tire is going to handle inherently different than the same tire that you just removed from the motorcycle. Well, it's hang on one happen. second. So, so what you're telling me is that it's not breaking the tire in, it's breaking the rider in. Yes. That's yes, what we have good. to go through. It's forget about very the tire. Good. It's the rider because you've already worn your, even if you're putting the same tire on, you've ridden it down, it's worn, and it's changed over time. You are 100% correct. <laughs> and one, one of the things uh, that we do, and as I said earlier, is we do depositions in the courtroom. So if someone hires my firm or one of the engineers in my firm to represent them or defend them in the courtroom, one of the first things that we're going to ask the dealer is, did you talk to the rider about tire break-in? And with each manufacturer, it is very, the, the number of miles or kilometers that each tire manufacturer says is required for break-in differs drastically. So I think Pirelli says 200 miles. Michelin says approximately 100 kilometers. Bridgestone says 60 miles or 100 kilometers. I mean, it's it's so different. It's unbelievable. So one of the things that when we do a group, if we're at, say, a, a Gold Wing event or BMW event, what we recommend to the customer and the dealer is to not only talk about break in to make sure that the customer understands what that is about, but on every motorcycle label, and most customers don't see it because the dealers take it off because they don't want to leave the label on the tire, uh, I recommend that they take that label and give it to the customer because the, the dealer is not a tire expert like myself. So if you take that label, you give it to the customer, on that label, it's going to implicitly explain what the break-in process is for that specific tire that you purchased for your motorcycle. At the same time, the dealer and the customer should have some documentation that says, hey, we went through the break-in period. Because inherently, most of those accidents happen within the first 20 miles of riding from the dealership, unfortunately. And when you, especially if you've got a new front tire, when you apply the brakes on that on that motorcycle, irregardless of what motorcycle it is, at least 70%, on, depending on bike, it could be even higher than that. The braking forces are going to be applied to that front tire. So that's when most of the crashes happen. Either they got two new tires or just a front tire. They applied the brakes. 
or they applied throttle or they made some type of aggressive action with the handlebars, that's what causes that tire to lose traction and then the rider tumbles over. So it's it's important that the the customer more so than the dealer understands how many miles because the manufacturers do do testing to determine break-in because of the the number of lawsuits globally uh, that happens due to that break-in period. It is really important that you understand what it is because it is not the same from manufacturer to manufacturer. There is no global or Canadian or North American or South American standard for what the break-in process is. So it is extremely important that you get that label because they're just going to throw it in the trash anyway. You read that label, the dealer reads that label, and make sure both parties understand what the break-in cycle is for that t- that new tire. Now, are we still talking breaking in the rider, getting the rider used to the new tire? And if so, why would it differ from one to the other? Or are we also talking about scuffing the tire up? We're, we're talking about scuffing the tire up so you have a little more traction because if you look at that surface on the tire, it's very, very smooth. So you want to scuff it up so you increase the level of friction between the tire and the road surface. So that's that's one part. Part two is the rider himself, getting him or her used to the way this new tire handles because it it's the, the crown radius or the shape of the tread is going to be very, very different than the shape of the tread of the tire that you just removed. Even if they're the same tire, the handling on them is going to be very, very different. Those of you out there who do track days or something like that, you know that when you put that new tire on, that tire is going to handle very different than the one that you took off. And the same goes for riding on the road. So if you're a new rider, it's really important to understand that. Even if you're an experienced rider, it's also important to understand it because a lot of those accidents happen more so with an experienced rider because they think, oh, well, I know what I'm doing. And then they go down. But I'm an experienced rider myself. I'm also a safety instructor and I instruct people, the rider coaches who instruct other people. And that is a big part of, of, of that program when you take a rider education to understand the importance of break-in with that tire and, and you as a rider. Well, how about when it comes to mounting your tires, and particularly if you're doing it yourself, how important, two questions with this, how important is balancing afterwards, in particular for those who run knobbies on their adventure bikes? A lot of our listeners are are riding adventure bikes. And what are those white and red dots? (laughs) Balancing is actually, it's it's really important, especially on a a bike that you're going to be driving at high speed. But I'll let you in on a, a little known secret. Most of the manufacturers, if you go to a, a track day or a, a race, not MotoGP, but it uh, used to be AMA, it's something else now, but they actually do sort of a bubble balance. And it's not any kind of high technology or high speed balancing or anything like that. And those tires are remarkably well balanced. Now, The tires are so easy to balance now because the process of manufacturing a motorcycle is very different than it used to be. Before, they would take the casing and splice it together or butt splice it so you had a heavy spot in one part of the tire. They would splice together the tread in a different spot. They'd splice the sidewalls. But now, almost 100% of all motorcycle manufacturers use a process called spiral wound. 
And what that process means is the components that are used to make that tire, whether it's the casing or the tread or even the belts in the tire, whether they're steel or or uh, aramid, which is basically Kevlar, uh, are wound like um, a fishing line on a reel. That way, the tire is almost perfectly balanced before it's ever applied to the rim. Now, let's talk about the dots that are on the tire. Typically, on a motorcycle tire, you have a white dot and sometimes a yellow dot. That yellow dot is going to be the high spot that you want to match up to the valve stem. Now, if you have a white dot or hopefully never a red dot, you should never have a red dot on a motorcycle. That means something totally different. If you have a white dot, that's usually a quality mark. Sometimes it's a, a, a filled-in white mark. Sometimes it's a, a, a circle with nothing in the middle. Those are usually quality marks or someone who checked the tire before it left the factory and they put their stamp to let everyone know, hey, it's gone through a quality check. The tire should be good. And the, the red dot that I mentioned earlier, which I've never really seen, some of them use a red dot as a quality mark on some of the manufacturers. So you shouldn't be uh, alarmed if you see it on a motorcycle. That is for uh, uh, radio runout and that kind of thing. But you're not going to have anything like that with a motorcycle tire because of the size and the way that it's produced. I just have, for the first time, I have a tire with a red dot on it. I'm going to have to look at it if it's a quality mark. To me, I was thinking it was radial runout. No, uh, the motorcycle tires, they will be captured through the quality process before you have something like that on a motorcycle. The attention to detail on motorcycle tires are usually a lot higher than uh, a passenger or light truck tire. The attention to detail on an original equipment car tire is almost as high as what's on a motorcycle, but the the manufacturers spend a little more time with quality on motorcycle tires because there are only two tires that are going to come in contact with the surface, and they want to make sure that they've got you the best quality product that they possibly can. Even a cheaply made motorcycle tire is going to be of, of pretty high quality. So if you're looking for say, uh, the number of motorcycle tires that have workmanship and material failures, man, that number is astronomical. It's probably about two parts per billion that would actually have a workmanship and materials problem. That is very, that is so rare with a motorcycle tire. It's almost unheard of. The only time that I really see, uh, and I don't want to call it a quality problem, if you're at the track and most motorcycle tires have a a directional arrow on them. Well, some of the guys who use slicks at the track, you, you usually turn in more more to the left and right or vice versa. Then they, they will say, hey, I've, I've got the whole other side of the tire that's unused. I can flip it around. Well, when those guys, uh, the engineers put that directional error on there, that is put on there definitely for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen them actually peel that tread back at the tread splice. And then they'll try to send it in to the manufacturer. And they think the people who do the adjustments or the warranty issues on the tires are not going to know what that is. They are going to know what that is immediately, especially with a slick or a track or you've done a track day with the tire. You're not going to be able to fool them. Now you mentioned yellow dots, but I don't think we covered that yet. What about the yellow dots? The yellow dot is the static balance dot. And you want to match that up with your valve stem 
and, and in some cases, you may not see the yellow dot. A lot of the manufacturers have stopped putting the static balance dots on tires because they're so well balanced because of the manufacturing process with the spiral wind. So you don't see as many, but if you do have it on there and for some reason it doesn't, you want to try to line it up with the valve stem. If it doesn't, it's not going to cost you a lot in applying uh, balance weights to the motorcycle to make sure that the wheel is balanced. When it comes to compounds for the tire, we, we often, you know, everybody looks at this and everybody wants more mileage out of their tire all the time. That's a common complaint. Um, we always <laughs> want more for less, aren't we? That's a human nature, I guess. But when it comes to compounds and making the tires, there's there's all kinds of talks of strips of different kinds of compounds, harder in the center, softer on the side. Is it a general um, fact that the traction and longevity don't go together? They're sort of opposite ends of the, of the, uh, the tipping beam or the balance beam? Good gracious, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, the, the way that tires are made now, and, and you know, when people ask me that question, if, if I'm at Harley event or Sturgis and they see me on my hands and knees taking tread depths and documenting information about tires, they say, hey, how come I can't get 50 or 40 or 60,000 miles out of my tires? Well, for uh, a couple of things. First, it's a motorcycle tire. And safety is always going to be priority one through 10. And because you have such a small footprint. So to give you an example, if you've got a mass market automobile like a Toyota Camry, if the tire has the right amount of air pressure in it to carry the load, those four footprints of each one of those tires would be equivalent to the size of a sheet of paper. On a motorcycle, the front and rear footprint on there is going to roughly be about a third the footprint of one of those tires <laughs> uh, in square square inches. Uh, a motorcycle would be a third of one of those tires as far as the footprint on the ground. So because of that, there is not enough technology now that will give you 60,000 miles. They can build you a tire that'll get easily, that'll give you 40, 50, 60, 70. They can build you actually a tire that can give you 100,000 miles. But the problem is you don't get to stay upright going through a lot of the turns. <laughs> <laughs> Which is something that we're, we're definitely after with a motorcycle. <laughs> so what they do now is you will have two or three compounds on a tire. You'll have a, a compound in the center. And I want to make sure that your listeners understand that it's not a harder or softer compound by touch or a, a, a little scale called a durometer where it measures hardness or stiffness. That doesn't work anymore because you can put com, uh, compounds and silica and natural and synthetic rubbers in a in a tread or the compound in the tread and it will feel softer than another tread and actually give you more mileage. So you can't determine how good the tread is by touch hmm. on, on a street, on a street bike. So when they put uh, a compound in the center to give you more longevity or a little bit more mileage, they understand that on a touring bike, you're going to spend more time upright than on a sport bike. So that compound would be a, 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 a more durable compound. And then as you lean over toward the shoulder, you may have one or two additional compounds uh, in that tread that give you a lot more traction, but not as much wear. 
But in addition to that, that top compound, there's also a base compound that's different than the one, two, or three that you have on the top. So as you wear that tread down and you get to about 50% skid depth, or that's engineering for tread depth, uh, you will have a compound that's better for wet traction. Because as that tread wears down, you start to lose some of your wet traction capability. So now you need to make that up with the compound in the tire. So effectively, you have a different compound on the top portion of the tread than you do on the bottom portion of the tread, the the cap versus the base. And then in addition to that, you could have a different compound in the center on the cap. And then as you roll out toward the edge of the, t- of the tread or the shoulder, then you could have one or two, in, in some cases, maybe even three uh, different compounds there that the further you lean over, the more aggressive that compound is for friction or traction. So hopefully I was clear the way that I explained all that. How old can a tire be? You know, before we get in, and, and yeah, we're going to talk tire pressure, and that's really the main part of what we were going to talk about. But but how old can a tire be? I mean, some people will say three years, some people will say six years, and and if you can't dig your nail into it to sort of get an idea of how stiff it is anymore, if that's you know out the window, you're saying that the durometer test uh, no longer works. We have to go by the manufacturer's date, which maybe you can talk about that as well. And how old is too old? Oh, man, that's a great question. I got all excited for a second there. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> the way that you tell the the date, the born on date or the manufacturing date on any tire, close to the bead area on a car, it's usually on the inboard side. On a motorcycle, it's going to be on one side or the other. And the thing that's unique, it it's called the DOT code. And the deal, you may not have the full DOT code. As a matter of fact, you're likely to not have the full DOT code on both sides of the tire. So typically, it will give you, it will be 11 to 13 digits. It'll have a DOT, and then it'll have 11 to 13 digits. The first two tell you uh, the plant that that tire was made. And there's a book called Who Makes It and Where. The engineers can look up that code. It's always two digits. It could be alpha and numeric or numeric and alpha or alpha and alpha or numeric and numeric. And we can look it up and see what plant that tire was made in, even the address and the contact information for that facility. And that book is called Who Makes It and Where. But the thing that your listeners need to be concerned with on any tire are the last four digits of the DOT. They should always be numeric. It should be four numbers. If there's three numbers, run away from that tire. (laughs) And I'll explain why in a moment. But the way to read the DOT is the first two of those four digits, the two uh, numbers closest to the rest of the DOT, is going to be the week that that tire was made. The last two numbers on that DOT will be the year that that tire is made. So if it's got two, three one nine, that tire was made the 23rd week of uh, 2019. If it's 2309, it's made the 20th week of 2009. Now, if it's got three digits, 239, that tire was made pre-2000. And under no circumstance, I mean, no, sir, it doesn't matter what it looks like. It could look fine. Uh, do not use that tire on your motorcycle, on your car. 
I run into a lot of that on trailers that people tow. Or, believe it or not, in volunteer fire departments, they have tires that are very old or on classic cars because they want the original equipment tire mm-hmm. and, they, and it adds value. Now, I want you to think of that old tire kind of like an eraser on a pencil. Uh, if you found a pencil in your house and the eraser is two or three years old and you try to use that eraser and it's made of rubber, by the way, natural rubber, it crumbles apart. It looks fine, but it crumbles apart. Tires are the same way. If you try to use that tire, the possibility of that tire failing is higher than not. So now let's talk about how old a tire should be in use. A lot of guys try to call, you know, online or their brick and mortar store and say, hey, I want the newest tire that you have in stock. Well, that's quite difficult sometimes because when you buy online, especially from a big vendor, they usually buy in bulk. The, the the tire manufacturers will say, look, if you buy 10,000 or 1,000 of these tires, you know, you, you don't have to pay for six months. And, and we'll give you buy one, get two free or buy three and get one free or something. They give them these spiffs to encourage them to buy a lot of tires. So sometimes you can get a tire and it may be two or three, year, or three years old. That is more common than not. It is very rare to get a, a tire that's made within the uh, within the first six months of its production life. It, it just really doesn't happen because of the change, the distribution, and the logistics involved in shipping motorcycle tires. So with Dunlop, they're made at one factory. Most of Bridgestone are made in Japan. It takes six months to ship them over. So you're just not going to get them that new. Now, if you want to know how old your tire can be, and that's very important to know, Because if you have an issue and you think it's a tire problem, the age of that tire is going to play a major role in whether or not the tire manufacturer is going to help you. So that goes back to what I said earlier, because all of them have a slightly different philosophy on how old the tire can be before they will help you. Some say uh, four or five years from the DOT date or the date of purchase up to six years, and then it's void or something like that. But if you want to know, you can go to that website, look up the warranty information for that brand, and it will explain all of that in detail. It'll tell you how many years the tire is good for use, how many years the tire the warranty is good for. It'll have a 1-800 number where you can talk to someone in engineering or technical services if you don't understand some of that jargon that's in the warranty information. But I, I am begging you and all of your listeners to go to the website, download that warranty page, and read that warranty information because that can determine whether or not that manufacturer is going to help you if you have a tire problem. I just want to jump back to the date, to checking the date on the tire. Just when you're saying the DOT number on there, is it always on a like a sort of a little plate stamp? Like that's where I, that's how I always see it. Is it's it almost looks like a little plate, and it would make sense because that that's what they have to change all the time. Yes, they they change them out every week. That they change that plate out, and like I said, the first two are for the week, and the last two are for the year. So each week they change that plate out on both on one or and that's why it's, it may not be full length on both sides because they don't want to change the plate out on two sides. It's easier to change it out on one side. 
Okay, so let's talk tire pressure. What is tire pressure? What effect does tire pressure have on our motorcycles? Let's talk about the physics of tire pressure. And, you know, I, I, often you hear people say, well, I have a flat. Or, you know, I run max air pressure. What's on the sidewall of the tire or something like that? Uh let me explain how you determine what air pressure you should run in your motorcycle. And let's start with a sport bike and you want to do a track day. Well, if it's cold outside, I'm going to start and then we're going to go all the way up to a touring bike because there's the process is uh, slightly different in understanding what's going on. So you get, uh, you've, you got ultra high performance tires on your sport bike or you got track tires or something. What you do on a cold day is lower the air pressure in increments of one PSI. And what that does is allow the sidewall to flex more, which builds up heat and allows the tire to have more traction. In the summertime, when it's really hot, you may have a track temperature, uh, I, don't, I don't know uh, metric because I'm a dumb American, but anyway... <laughs> It may be 100 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. It's really hot. So you don't want to build up too much heat in the tire and allow the tread to kind of grease up on you a little bit. And you don't have as much traction. So you run higher air pressure, which allows the tire to flex a lot less. And when that happens, the tire actually can run a little bit cooler. But the drawback is you have a smaller footprint. So there's a delicate balancing act there. Now, let's look at riding on the street. Let's go to maybe uh, a dual sport or a 1300, you know, something like that, or even a touring bike. When you look in the owner's manual or the swing arm, it has recommended, not required, recommended air pressure settings on there. Now, on some bikes, uh, the way the suspension is set up can induce irregular wear. The new the new Honda GL1800 great bike, similar suspension to the BMWs with that teller lever in the front to prevent dive. That suspension is extremely good, but extremely hard on tires. So if you run what's on the in the owner's manual or the or the swing arm, you may start to get scalloping or cupping or shoulder edge wear where you get you see that step down where the shoulder wears more than it did in the center because it's probably a dual compound on the front. When As soon as you start, or you may get some vibration when you lean left or right. You've probably seen that before where you get either noise or vibration when you lean left or right, especially on the big touring bikes. What you have to do then is increase the pressure, especially on the big bikes, the big touring bikes. I would start out immediately with whatever is marked on the sidewall of the tire, minus 2 PSI. So if the sidewall says 41 in the front, you want to run 39 PSI. If it says 49 in the rear, you want to run 47 PSI. Because it's not the tire that carries the load. It is the air pressure in the tire. Uh, well, it's the load on the tire that determines the air pressure. But you're not going to go by the manual. You're going to go by the max tire pressure on the tire on a touring bike. And I'm going to tell you why, because now on the new gold wing, it's gone to a 200 rear, which is a pretty big tire. And it has more load carrying capacity than the previous 180 or the 170 or even the 160. Back when the BMW was the K 1200, they had a 160 
uh, uh, radio tire on the rear. And that tire, if you put two people my size, I'm 6'4", 295 pounds. If me, if I rode on that bike with a full tank of fuel, I had already maxed out the load carrying capacity of those tires. On the previous generation Goldwing, if you put two average sized people and a full tank of fuel, you were probably over the load carrying capacity on those tires. And that's because the tires, most of the motorcycles, other than a Harley, are, are made in other countries. And in Canada and the U.S., we have big people. We, we really do. And, and if it's a Japanese bike, you got a, probably a guy that weighs 125 pounds doing the testing. Uh, they don't ride a lot of two-up over there, so they don't really understand the mechanics. Also, there's a phenomenon here in the States where – uh, and in Canada, where people tow trailers on motorcycles. Uh, so if you if you start, I'm saying follow the owner's manual, but if you start hearing weird noises or you start getting vibrations or cupping or scalloping, bump it up to that max air pressure minus two. Because that means that you, the load that you have on there is very, very close to the limit of that tire at the recommended air pressure, not at the max air pressure, and that will help resolve that. Now, once that starts, you cannot stop it, but you can slow it down extensively by by increasing the air pressure. Under no circumstances should you ever go over the maximum air pressure rating on the sidewall, and you should always check the air pressure when it's cold. If you just got off your bike, you wanna wait at least an hour, and then check the air pressure to see what it is. A lot of bikes now come with a TPMS system on it. Uh, there's a lot of aftermarket TPMS systems. I highly recommend any of those. Uh, they work. They keep you abreast of what the air pressure is or what the settings are. And they keep you mindful of air pressure. It's really important on a motorcycle to check the air pressure at a minimum once a month because you're going to lose approximately one PSI of air pressure in each tire per month on the motorcycle tire. And in addition to that, you're going to lose one PSI per every 10 degree Fahrenheit drop in temperature. So if you go six months, it was 100 degrees when you checked it. If you go six months and not checking it, you're going to lose six, P six PSI because it's been six months. And if the temperature is now 40 degrees Fahrenheit, where it was 100 degrees Fahrenheit, you're going to lose a, an additional 6 PSI. So over that 12 months and the temperature dropping, if you're going into the winter months, it's possible to lose up to 12 PSI of air pressure if you don't check the air pressure. And I can assure you, if you lose 12 PSI in the front and rear tires, not only do you not have enough air pressure to carry the rider and, a, and or a passenger, you don't have enough air pressure in those tires to sustain the load of just the motorcycle alone. Now, now let, me, let me just go back here a little bit, or, or maybe even go right from what you said there. You, you mentioned the tire temperature. You're saying check it when it's cold. On the track, you were saying about how the tire temperature uh, changes with uh, as lower pressure will create more heat. What is yes. it about that that, cre that that creates more heat, and how is that connected to cupping? Uh, well, what happens is you start to have 
flexing in the sidewall. Tires are actually part of your suspension system, and there should be some deflection in the tire. When you hit a bump or a pothole, the tire should absorb some of that with your suspension system. But if you don't have enough air pressure in there, you're going to create uh, over deflection, which means the sidewall is going to flex a lot more than it would have if you had the right air pressure for the load that you're carrying. It's kind of like if you take a paper clip or a staple. Have you ever bent one back and forth until it gets hot and breaks? Mm-hmm. That's what over deflection is in a tire. You're developing too much heat, and that heat comes from the deflection, and that is friction between the internal components of the tire, the friction between the tire and the road, and friction between the tire and the rim. And all of those generate heat. That's why when you feel a tire after a long ride, it feels warm or sometimes hot. And the tube, and, if you're running a, a tube-type tire, that's going to add to it even more. Yes, that will add more. And also, speaking of tubes, and I'm kind of getting off your question a little bit, but we'll come back to it. You, A radial tube, you can put in a radial tire or bias ply tire. A bias ply tube can only... And I'm going to say it again. A bias ply tube can only be used with a bias ply tire. You cannot, under any circumstances, use a bias ply tube in a radial tire because the stretch rate or the deformity rate of that tube is the, the, the frequency of the flex of that tube is going to be unequal to the flex rate of that radial tire, that tube is going to get hot and fail. So best case scenario, use a radial tube and biased and radial. We were talking about tire pressure and the flexing, the heat, and how cupping comes from that. Yes. What happens if you don't have enough pressure in the tire, you can actually deform that contact patch. So instead of the contact patch sort of being egg-shaped, It will be misshapen, but it deforms the shape of the tire. So the leading edge, instead of being in the center of the tread on the motorcycle tire, is spread out toward the shoulders on both sides. And because you've probably more likely than not got a different compound as you inch over toward the shoulders than you do in the center, that shoulder compound is going to be scuffed off, kind of like when you wear an eraser down. And that can cause depend, and the tread pattern has a lot to do with that too. So it can either cause cupping, or scalloping, or feather edge wear, depending on the compound and the tread pattern. Some tread pat, and the, the motorcycle manu- the tire manufacturers are doing a good job now, uh, not using tread patterns that induce cupping. Being aware that a lot of people don't check their tire pressure as often as they should, so they do a good job of not using those types of tread patterns. But the user, the end user, the rider can induce that by not maintaining proper air pressure. And if you start to see that, you will normally see it on bigger bikes, but you can see it on smaller bikes too. That is a telltale sign that you are not running enough air pressure in those tires. So immediately look at the sidewall. That small print says this tire will run at a maximum pressure of blah, blah, blah for a maximum load of this. Go ahead and run it at that maximum air pressure, minus 2 PSI. And when you check that air pressure, check it cold. Do not check it hot. Now, having said that, is is some cupping just a natural part of wear with certain tires? And particularly if you get into running knobbies on, on adventure bikes? 
On adventure bikes, that's a different type of tread pattern because it's more knobby. Yes, you can see it on adventure bikes. And now some of, uh, some of the tread patterns, the, the, uh, the height of the lugs are actually different depending on how it is on the tread. So it's, that's a little different on an off-road or an adventure sport tour that that's designed a adventure sport tire that's designed for more off road than on road. So yeah, you can see it on there. And if and typically when you ride off road, you're going to let some air pressure out. And I don't necessarily agree with that, ladies and gentlemen, because when you buy uh, a tire for a, a dirt bike and you're going to ride off road, those tires come in different compounds. You can get them in. And uh, extra soft, soft, medium, hard, extra hard, depending on whether you're riding in mud or clay or shale or rock, they're designed for whatever landscape you're riding on. So I would never recommend letting air out. And I've seen it out. Uh, People air those tires to as little as 9 or 12 PSI. I, I cannot in good conscience recommend that from a safety standpoint more than uh, anything else because you can cause a tire failure by doing that. Just try to make sure you got a compound that fits what you're, the, the, uh, the, the landscape that you're riding on. And if you're not sure, contact the dealer, uh, contact the online retailer and get some recommendations from them. But I, uh, there is no tire manufacturer or engineer that would recommend lowering off-road tires to 12 or 9 psi with adventure bikes i mean uh, i think there's a lot of riders that talk about lowering the pressure for better traction off-road which is true better flotation on sand which which definitely uh, you can notice but the thing with adventure bikes is they're so heavy I and mean, we were talking four or five six seven hundred pounds for a motorcycle oh. um, especially once you're loaded up with all your gear that's not including the rider uh, that's a lot of weight on those tires. So when you come onto things like rocks, um, that's where you hear people damaging their rims, in particular the front rim. Yeah, that's due to, thank you for that. That's due to lowering that air pressure. And you're right. We got to start thinking about air pressure in terms of the load of the motorcycle determines the air pressure, not the surface that we're riding on. I'm glad you said that. So TJ, so so let's let's look at it right from the start here. If somebody has their adventure bike, their their street bike, whatever it is, and they want to figure out what tire pressure they should be running, how do they do it? Uh, what I would always the fail safe is what the manufacturer recommends. If you're a big guy like me, uh, almost 300 pounds, and I'm not fat, I'm just a big guy, big bone, big mongoloid head. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, I got to put more air in there because I'm bigger than most people. I'm 6'4", almost 300 pounds. I'm not fat, but I'm a big guy. So I'm obviously going to have more load than most people on that motorcycle, especially on a BMW BMW, uh, GS1200, which is a big bike in itself. That thing's nine, almost 900 pounds by itself. Uh, And you got me on there. I got to run max air pressure in the tires on there, whether I'm on road or off road. Now, there is a small exception. If you're in sand or mud and you're not going to be going very fast, I say you can lower the air pressure. I don't recommend it, but I say that you can. But if you're going to be going very, but if you're going to be going over rocks or stumps or tree roots or any of that stuff, you cannot lower that air pressure because you will damage the rim and or the tire when you run across those because there's not enough spring rate 
in the tire with the load of the rider and the motorcycle for the tire to do what it's supposed to to prevent damage to that rim. You mentioned that when you're on your bike, because you're a big guy, you're, you're pushing the maximum weight. What happens with an adventure bike? You, you see people load up with all their gear for a trip. So now you've got bikes that are quite often over the maximum weight for those tires. And as a side note here, I've seen a lot of posts where people say, look at my back tire started to come apart. I can't believe it's only got so many miles on it. What's going on? This crappy tire. What do you do when you've exceeded the gross vehicle weight or the, the well, yeah, the gross vehicle weight and the tire weight? I, I just got to say your questions are phenomenal. Nobody's ever asked me these questions before. <laughs> <laughs> That's I'm going to answer it, but I'm, I'm happy that you're asking me that question. What you can do is call a dealer or someone who's got a scale. And what you want to do is weigh the bike. And you, you, I would weigh, recommend weighing the whole bike, and that way you can put it on the center stand or something, and try to weigh it by axle if you can. That's very difficult, so you're probably going to have to weigh the whole bike. And then what you want to do is look at the sidewall of the tire and see what the maximum load carrying capacity is of that tire. If you're over that maximum load carrying capacity, and that's the maximum load carrying capacity at max air pressure. Uh, then you've, you've got to take some of the load off that motorcycle. And here's something I want you to understand, too. So say, for instance, you weigh your bike and the tire says it'll carry the rear tire because it's bigger. It'll carry more weight. It says it'll carry uh, 800 pounds at, 40, at 49 PSI. And you've got 801 pounds on there. There's a thing called a K factor where they're going to design in a little bit of extra load carrying capacity if you're going lower speeds. If you're going really fast, higher than freeway speeds, then that goes away. But say, for instance, instead of 49 PSI, you put 48 or 47. Then that tire will not carry 800 pounds. It may carry as little as 720 or 730 pounds. If you want to know what it'll carry at what pressure, Call the tire manufacturer, and there's a book uh, called the Tire and Rim uh, Association Annual Yearbook. You can actually consumers can buy that book. They can go to the TRA or the Tire and Rim uh, Association.org, and they can order the book. I wouldn't recommend ordering it because you can call and find out. And that's the book that we use to tell us what load can be carried on the in your tire at what air pressure. Now they're going to need to know the size. And the type of tire and the application. So a street bike tire won't, in the same size of a dirt bike tire, won't carry the same load. The construction is different. Uh, and, and I know that organization well because I used to be the chairman of the board uh, of the motorcycle subcommittee. And we were are a bunch of engineers who set the standards on all tire on all motorcycle tires and all rims that are sold in North America, and that includes Canada and South America. There's some tires that you can get in either a tube type or a tubeless version. What's the difference between those? The construction and the type of compound on the inside. So uh, if you can go with a tubeless version, that's always recommended because it's got the latest technology. If you've got to go with a tube type, a lot of times uh, it, it'll be a bias ply tire, but some radial tires are tube type too, especially on spoked rims. If it's got a radial tire, it's going to say uh, when using a radial tire, on, and these markings are new, it, it'll say on the sidewall of the tire that it may be tube type or tubeless, 
but can you use a tube in a tubeless tire? The answer is yes, if it's used on a tube type rim. If it's used on a tubeless wheel and it's a tubeless tire, you cannot use a tube in that tire then. But the construction and the way that those tires are manufactured and the type of compound, especially on the inner liner, is different between those two tires. Mm, interesting that you mentioned the latest technology on the on the tubeless version. That that's that's interesting to note. Um, what about tubes now? Do, do, would you recommend replacing the tubes every time? Um, a lot of times, people will want to use the same tube over again because it looks good. No, do not use. Wow, do not no, do not use the same tube. When you change the tire, you need to change that tube. And also, we, we talked a little bit about tire pressure monitoring systems, TPMS. Each uh, uh, tire manufacturer, or actually motorcycle manufacturer, ha- has a different philosophy on what should be replaced on that TPMS as well. So some of them say you replace some of the grommets, and some of them say you replace the valve. It is really important to ask your dealer what your motorcycle manufacturer says about what should be replaced on the TPMS when you replace the tire or the tube. Uh, Of course, you won't have a tube with a TPMS, but the the tubeless tire. How often are you checking your tire pressure on your motorcycle? If, If I check it, you know, as an engineer, I actually check it every single month. But Uh, Say, for instance, I'm on my sport bike and I'm doing a a track day, that tire gets checked multiple times throughout the day because you're you're using that that motorcycle and the tire in a highly stressful situation. And I want to try to get maximum efficiency and maximum wear out of that tire. Uh, If I'm going on a long trip, uh, me and a few got a few friends will ride down to Daytona for bike week, which is a 10 hour ride. We break it up into two days. But it's a 10-hour ride from my my home city of Nashville down to Daytona. I check it every morning before I get on the bike. And if you've got a TPMS system, you can use the TPMS and just – most of them tell you what the actual pressure is. If you don't have a TPMS, you're going to have to bend a knee and check it because it's very difficult nowadays, especially on an ultra-high performance tire, which is on a lot of motorcycles, to look at that tire and tell – if it's got the right amount of air pressure. It may tell you if it's got air or not air, but you need to have the right pressure in there. Uh, TJ, I think when we were talking about the the tire age, I don't think we actually stated, uh, you didn't state an age that that you would cut the tire off at. We talked about reading the code, et cetera, and we talked about the delay factor from coming from the factory to the consumer. But what's the date you should look at? Like, what's the age you look at and you go, no, I'm not accepting that tire. I don't want to use it. A lot of the tire manufacturers nowadays say five years from the DOT date, then it's done. But some of them differ, and the way that you can find out is go to that tire manufacturer's webpage, look up the warranty brochure, and it's usually, like I said, it's in a PDF. You can download it and read it, or you can read it online, and it'll tell you what their stance is on tire age. And they, they won't say the tire's no good. They will say the warranty's done after five years. That means your tire's done as well. Uh, there's no law that says, hey, after 10 years or something, it's done. But when the warranty's up, it's probably recommended that you go ahead and put a new tire on. Now, just sort of to, to wrap things up here, when it comes to storing your bike for the winter, should we be concerned at all for the tires? Should we do anything different with the tires? I mean, does it make a difference? Uh, what I recommend is just put max air pressure in so you maintain the roundness because if you've got it on the ground, it could flat spot 
where it's touching the ground. So just run max air pressure in it uh, during the winter. Also, don't store your bike very close to an air conditioning unit or any kind of ozone source because that will prematurely age that tire. And most most consumers who see it, they, they refer to it as dry rod or crack or cracking. It's actually from an engineering term is called ozone cracking. And that's what happens when you store it next to an ozone emitting device like an air conditioner or some heating units, and it'll prematurely age those tires. When you see ozone cracking or dry rot, that is almost 100% of the time just a cosmetic thing. It's not going to cause the tire to fail, but a lot of the uh, tire manufacturers will replace that tire on a prorated basis. That means they'll see how much tread depth you have left, and that's the credit that they'll apply to the new tire for you to get another tire. But I, I would definitely not recommend that. And also one other thing, and we didn't get into this, and maybe if we talk again, we can get into this, is riding the dark side or double dark side. That's when you place a car tire on the rear of the motorcycle because they want more mileage. And then you take a rear motorcycle tire and turn it around the, op- the wrong direction and place it on the front. That's called riding double dark side. That is not recommended by anyone. There is no one on the planet. And if you do that, you you have advertised not only to yourself but other riders that that is safe to do. Now, most of those accidents happen in a single vehicle accident. And one of the things that uh, Tenant Associates does now is we also train insurance companies and adjusters. They are a lot acutely aware, a lot more aware of what the proper application is. So do if you do that, do not be surprised if the adjuster turns down your insurance claim for improper application. Mm-hmm. But that's not recommended. Also be aware that if you tow a trailer on your motorcycle, not only do you void the motorcycle warranty, but you also void the tire warranty on every motorcycle manufacturer and every tire manufacturer that's sold out there. So I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm just saying be aware of the consequences. Even if you don't tow a trailer, if you just connect the the hitch, that will immediately void the, the tire warranty. And that goes back to having a relationship with your local motorcycle dealer because they may forget to mention that to the tire manufacturer <laughs> if you have some issues. So that goes back into having that relationship with your local dealer. TJ, this has been such great information. I've really enjoyed having you on the show. Thank you very much. And as you sort of mentioned there, we'll have to get you back again. There is so much information. We have just only literally scratched the surface, unfortunately. That's that's what I feel like. I, I've got more questions. I wanted to ask about nitrogen, and but there's, you know, <laughs> I, we've got to cut it off at one point. And uh, what about nitrogen? Well, before we well, let me let me go ahead and give you the truth about nitrogen. Nitrogen is always going to be good to use because it's dry, but you probably have to pay for it. And the process to install nitrogen is to vacuum the the compressed air out, install nitrogen, vacuum it out three times, and then put the nitrogen in. And then you've got probably the maximum percentage of nitrogen. We're breathing about seventy eight percent nitrogen, sixteen percent oxygen, another six to eight percent of impurities. So can you put compressed air and get similar tendencies to nitrogen? Yes, as long as it's dry, you've changed the dry and you've drained the tank, but nitrogen is always going to be dry. And that's where, especially on a track, on a track day of racing, you get the inconsistency in pressure 
and tire growth because the moisture in the compressed air is what uh, expands and contracts and conducts heat. So the tire can actually run hotter if the compressed air is moist. So it's, it's always better to use nitrogen. Now, if you get in a situation where you've got nitrogen and you need to put add air, can you put compressed air on top of the nitrogen? Yes, you can. But in some cases, I have found that They've, they're putting the green cap on and they're putting compressed air in there. And there's one way to tell if it's really nitrogen. And I'm going to say at least twice, I don't recommend you do this. So there's one way to tell if it's nitrogen. I'm going to say it again. I do not recommend it. But you can take that nitrogen hose and take a big inhale. If you die, then it's really nitrogen. If you don't <laughs> die, it's compressed air. <laughs> it's just a one-shot check on that one. The, the, the green cap is designates nitrogen in the, in the the tube or the tire. That is correct. But is it worth it for the street? I mean, is it worthwhile no. going through the hassle? No, it's it's just not on the street use. On track use, unless you're a professional rider, there's no advantage on the track. I, I wouldn't worry about seeking out nitrogen for your motorcycle. As long as you've checked the air pressure and it's the right air pressure for the load that you're carrying and the motorcycle that you're riding, you are 100% of the time going to be fine. TJ, thank you very much. I really enjoyed this. I, I, I don't get to talk motorcycles that often anymore now unless I'm in the courtroom or something. So I hope I never see you or any of your listeners in the courtroom. If I do, hopefully I'm on your side protecting you. But I really look forward to doing this again. was TJ Tennant from Tennant and Associates in Ramsey, Minnesota. His website, tjassociates.com. And of course, that link will be in our show notes. Next week on the show, we're going to have two tire pressure monitoring systems for you that we've tried here at Adventure Rider Radio. Two systems that will allow you to really work your tire pressure and get the most from your tires. I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com. Also, Best Rest Products at www.cyclepump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear at greenchiliadv.com. And Moto Breeze Chain Oilers at motobreeze.com. Hey, you do us a great favor. If anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime you see them anywhere, you mention that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. that about wraps up another episode of adventure rider radio and we sure hope you learned something and enjoyed it as much as we did when we made it special thanks to our producer elizabeth martin and of course to you the listener thank you very much we couldn't have done it without you remember we've got a whole bunch of episodes of all different things entertainment and information at our website adventureriderradio.com now do you notice i didn't say triple w chris you know who i'm talking about thanks very much for listening my name is jim martin see you next week Paul Glaze from the Texas Big Bend. You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 